Welcome to Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. today's podcast, I get to talk to Steve and Mark again. Steven is a Brooklyn-based yoga teacher at Ishta Yoga with me, who first came to yoga as part of his acting training at NYU. He teaches twice a week at Ishta in New York City and uses the tools of yoga to balance his other career in technology and his artist's heart. It's always a delight to talk to Steven. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Steven. What's up, Peter? How's it going? It's going. It, it's going really well. Yeah, good. Um, it turned into winter. All of a sudden. All of a this sudden. This week. We had the remnants of a of a hurricane, and it felt like balmy for for a day or so, and now, boom. Yeah, it was glorious too. Yeah. It was really glorious. And then the rain got so cold. Did you get caught in the cold, cold rain? We, it's It's been kind of cold ever since for us here. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely feels like autumn now. We're in the Vata season. We're fully there. Yeah. And I'm feeling it in my head, too. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of these days we'll, we'll talk Ayurveda. But um, before we got on... We were talking a little bit about this notion of a sixth sense, or, or what in Sanskrit we call antar karana, how looking inward for kinds of source mm, energies, perhaps is a good way to say that. You know, so like all of the practices that we do are. You know, in the in the wheel of the Yoga Sutras, moving us toward more and more and more inward looking. You know, the 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 we have uh, uh, pranayama, we have asana, we have um, pratyahara, and those things are like how to use the body, how to use the breath in order to pull your focus inward. And you were you were saying right before we got on that your asana feels like that to you. Maybe you could describe that a little, and we can start talking from that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about. I've been thinking a lot about the ways in which people come to yoga and how they find it, and that leads me back to the way that I started practicing, which was it was required as a part of my acting training at NYU. Um, it was part of the pedagogy that, of the pedagogy that they called movement, and I didn't understand this at the time. But basically, the idea is that actors need to move; they need to build a relationship with their bodies, because one, they use their bodies to express storytelling, um, and two, it also gives you access to lots of interesting things like creativity and uh, instincts and emotions that you might not be regularly able to access. Um, 
I didn't know any of this at the time. Right. And so winding back, back, back to like 18 year old Steven, I was someone who really saw the world through my thoughts, like really, really related to the world through logic and um, anxious chatter, worries about, uh, worries about, I don't know, the person I was interested in at the time, like really just really loud thoughts. And um, I definitely observed that there was something about doing the physical practice of yoga before even I started to think about meditation. There's something about moving the body and stretching it. And I couldn't even put my finger on when or how it happens in the physical practice, but I knew that by the end of the physical practice, I felt shifted and that there was a separation or a quieting already happening in um, my experience. It's so so interesting that you say that because not only in the acting realm, but now, you know, um, psychologists are using that as a way to get trauma uh, experiencers to move away from their thoughts to move away from the trigger reactions and to get present by using their body. It's like so fascinating that one of the most fruitful lines of treatment for trauma is yoga. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. because it is this, like do things with your body while you're focusing on them. So it's 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 powerful and it's it's uh, again mindfulness practice is a similar thing like there there's the mindfulness practice where you're you know being loving kind towards someone or there's mindfulness practice where you're breathing but there's mindfulness practice of doing yoga mindfully and mm-hmm. being present with that and it is just what you're saying it's like makes a shift but i'd love to hear more about what what that felt like uh, yeah, I think what it feels like is mm, problem. Like if I have something going on in life <clears throat> that is giving me anxiety or is pulling my focus consistently kind of away from what I want to be focusing on toward something distracting or distressing, um, even after the first few vinyasas, like I start to feel distance from that thing and my thoughts wander back to them, but maybe it doesn't have as much of an emotional charge. Um, Almost like when there's more space in my breath that's being created from doing the physical postures, there starts to become more space around the problem. And it's not quite so claustrophobic in my head with between me and the problem yeah and um and then by the end of the practice very often and i and i mean of course i've been practicing for a while at this point so i think surrendering to be able to create more of that space is something that is practiced in me but by the end of the practice very often i feel like 
something that might have been a very big problem becomes something much smaller and easier sort of like to hold in my hand. It's not so large and crushing, but instead it's something that I can work with um, and, and hopefully take action on. Um, as someone who experiences anxiety, I would definitely describe it as the, at the beginning of practice, I might be so anxious about something that I can't act because I'm so nervous. And by the end of the practice, I'm so shifted that I feel ready to take action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, there's, it's so beautiful, you know, this practice, I, I feel so lucky to have found it. And um, because it, it works in, on all these different levels and it has so many tools that you can choose where you want to step into it. You know, you might one day feel like I need to be on my mat, I need to be doing this, I need to be breathing, maybe even I need to be sweating or I need to get really quiet and just move and these subtle ways, you know, like a restorative practice or even not restorative, but like a movement practice. Like Wendy really likes to do things super slow and feel into all of the, the places in the pose and stuff like that. You know, I have a more vata constitution, so I'm always like, I'm bored, let's move, right? <laughs> or, okay, that, I did three, that's done, you know? Um, so, but the practice will meet you in those places. It doesn't care, right? It's like you are taking something that is um, like your own vehicle, your own multi-part symphony of energy and then playing it or using it or, you know, doing it. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I, I spent a lot of um, time right around when I was doing my teacher, right after I was doing teacher training, I guess, um, with this yogi Mark Whitwell. Mm. And he, um, he has a very breath-based practice. It comes sort of out of the Desikachar side of the whole Krishnamacharya lineage. And he the way he speaks about it sometimes sounds so simple. You know, it's just like about embodying this vehicle, right? Like, and and he does it via, via the breath. And and it's a very powerful practice. For, for some people, it sort of blows you out because it's like too much air. So if you do have any kind of vata condition, it's a tricky, <laughs> tricky thing to stay stable through. Um, but I really like the simplicity of the notion that there's nothing very s fancy or special or you know, you're already perfect. Just like feel it, right? Just be yourself in your thing. How is that? And you know, your, your example when you were even in acting class, you didn't know anything about it, but just doing that practice shifted you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and something I was just thinking about is it's a, another fascinating piece to it for me is if you're someone who is in your thoughts, like is an anxious person, 
it can seem counterintuitive to like mm, uh, and actually i guess winding back if you are someone who is anxious and has a lot of thoughts but you want to come to a meditative place it can seem counterintuitive that sort of inward gazing that might feel like gazing into the body would take you to a place where meditating might be easier. Like mm-hmm. there's something about it that feels like you should be able to think your way into meditation, but that it's a mental but thing, but it's a mental, yeah, that it's a mental thing. And there's something about this idea of Antakarana that inward gazing into the subtleties of our experience isn't necessarily the same thing as ruminating mm-hmm. or processing. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we can define this antar karana, right? So antar, yes. the Sanskrit means inward, and karana means source. Mm. means cause, really, cause, the cause of something, right? And so when we use this practice of antar karana in yoga, we're exploring or investigating the the sensations or the knowledge of us that isn't coming through the five senses. So it's not sight, smell, touch, hearing, whatever the fifth one is, (laughs) Um, taste, Um, you know, so, we're noticing that we are more than that. In other words, we are um, we are these other kinds of feelings. And one of the immediate ones is like all of our thinking, right? All of the thinking is going on there. What is that? What What's it doing, right? And there's definitely a, a difference in our feeling when our thoughts are racing, when they're all over the place, when we're distracted, when they're repeating to a point where we're anxious about something. Like, it, it's like, but what about, but what, but, but what if, but what if, it could be, it could happen, right? So it's like this obsessive kind of thing going on versus when the thoughts are calm, right? So even if they don't go away, and like you say, you're not ruminating on them, the thoughts are just a product of the mental activity. The The mind, as long as it's alive, is throwing out associations and whatnot. Right? And so you start to notice that. And there's there's actually been a fair amount of sort of science research on um, this part of mental activity that's called the default mode network. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, our default mode is like typically just gabbing, free associating, wandering and whatnot. And one of the one of the benefits of a meditation practice is that it can get to a place where it quiets down significantly. And that sort of shifts you. So you're not so distractible. You're it's easier to focus when you're quiet, you're quiet when you're quiet or in a kind of a daydream thing, ideas percolate that are more like solutions and less like rumination or less like free association or wandering. You know, so there's, 
like these really practical shifts that come from having a practice. And looking inward gives us extra tools to figure that stuff out, right? I, I often wonder like way back, like, you know, indigenous cultures, pre-modern era, when they spend a lot of time like staring out at the water or, <laughs> you know, it's dark for like this time of year, it's dark a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just doing nothing. Like, was there more quiet or was there just the same mix as we see in people now? Mm. Like, I have no way of knowing that, so I, I don't know, it would just be a guess. But I know that for us now, learning about how we are, learning about what happens to us when we do a practice, gives us these new tools that we can use to more efficiently and more consistently gain the benefits, just like you did in your acting class, right? Like all mm -hmm. of a sudden you had this tool that would calm you down and put you more in touch with your body and give you access to the creativity and all these things that you said they were doing it for, why we were doing this mm -hmm. as part of our acting training. And, you know, for everyone else, it's the same thing. How do we, how do we learn more about ourselves so that we can have that in our life? Yeah. For a long time, I've been saying that I think really good acting training is really good yoga training. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. That they're very similar, that there's this piece, there's this Svadhyaya piece, this like self-study piece where you're turning the gaze at yourself and wondering about what is making me tick inside. And I think naturally as a part of that, you start to let go of things that are no longer kind of working in your favor and, and eventually maybe helps you to come closer and closer to stillness and actors do that um, and get to know themselves in this way so that they can, once you know yourself super well, it becomes a lot easier to pretend to be someone else. Once you are familiar with the past experiences, maybe traumas that might prevent you or hold you in a certain pattern of behavior in life, it becomes easier maybe to step over them. And those in, in life, that might mean um, you, maybe you've had an aversion to exercising because of some history you have with, with a story about sports. When, as you come to realize that there's something that underlies that, maybe you'll be able to eventually step over it and start exercising in a way that you feel good about. In acting, maybe you're not scared of your anger because of the way you've experienced anger. But once you come into relationship with that, actors might be able to perform as angry characters much more easily. Um, and so I've always drawn this parallel between the two. I wonder also if there's, when you're coming to know yourself more, 
you know, to, to notice these things about yourself and accept them more. If as an actor, you're more willing to let go of aspects of your own personality to more fully embody someone else. It's like, there's this uh, notion in yoga, one of, one of the kleshas or the obstacles to you being able to have a successful practice is a fear of death, right? Like my personality might die, my ego might not be here anymore. And that's a terrifying thought. And I can imagine it could have some influence on being willing to act and not be yourself. I think it definitely does. I think it was one of the major obstacles that I had in, in training like myself in, and um, like, I remember really probably we were working on Chekhov and my teacher wanted me to play this character called Solioni. I don't know if any actors are going to be listening to this and know what I'm talking about. Solioni is like this, really troubled, like sort of like poet. And he, in the three sisters, I think he ends up molesting somebody. And so they gave me this character really deliberately because I like to think in my walking life and I, that I'm just someone who is like very gentle and sort of like sweet and kind. And so it was really, really hard for me to, to play characters like that that and i felt almost knotted up inside around this idea of having to use my body even to portray a story that i knew was fictional where this body did something that was harmful to somebody else um and i think you're right i think it if you step back even further behind that what, what that knotted upness was was me feeling like no i am my identity is i am a kind person and i cannot be unkind it is not something i'm capable of doing i'm not willing to do that um yeah i really think it would be an interesting to have a yoga I, I, like an explicitly like yoga related acting program well there you go Stephen. <laughs> next <Yeah>. chapter <laughs> yeah um i want to talk about antarkarana a little bit maybe in the way that alan talks about it um because he's really gosh lately made this sort of a central tenet to what he's trying to get people to understand or help them develop. And it's that we think of ourselves so often in terms of, um, like if you, if you are looking at the koshas, which I think we talked about a little bit last time, you know, like we have this physical body and we have this uh, energetic body and we have a mental body and we have a kind of wisdom aspect body to us and then we have a bliss or like feeling connected content one with everything body and so often most of us are so pushed in our balance toward that physical body experience and all of the tools of tantra yoga even when they are physical like do this asana right do a headstand it's not about the physical part of it as much as it's about the energy of that, 
you know, that we are also this energy body or this energy system. And the practices that we do, like pranayama breathing practice or like kriya, where we visualize something and we have this intention that we're moving our energy or we're shifting our uh, orientation from one thing toward another thing, these are uh, like aspects of us that we can come to know better and work with. And if we are totally focused on the physical all the time or in the mental, right, the, the, the mind stuff spinning around, we miss out on this opportunity to, to use this bridge that helps us move more easily. And, and I think the move more easily is what helps us evolve in this lifetime. You know, like we, we could just live. There's, there's <laughs> the beauty of karma is it just keeps going. So we're just living, right? We got born, we did some stuff, we're still doing stuff. We're gonna do stuff until we're not doing stuff anymore. And then people we've influenced will do stuff and the karma will continue through that. But we can also grow so much in terms of understanding. And we start doing that in elementary school, you know, when we're just like learning a little bit more about the world. And when we get to be yogis, we can learn so much more about the nature of the world in the, the more subtleties, meaning the smaller and also in the grander, when we start to notice things about the cosmos and the universe. You know, I'm constantly blown away by how much science sounds like, in, in, you know, yoga philosophy. <laughs> and also, you know, I've been listening a lot to people talk about meditation from a science perspective and, you know, they're struggling to know the most simple things that we know as yoga yoga practitioners about what goes on in the mind or they'll discover oh my gosh if you do this you get healthier it's like <laughs> duh <laughs> i could have told you that 3000 years ago right but but i mean obviously they're trying to figure out what the mechanisms are but at the same time it's like this practice is so powerful at helping us know what it means to be a person and what is the person's relationship with the universe and what is the universe and can we come to know that in a more real way and not just a philosophy way and mm -hmm. so antar karana is tuning and well first developing and then tuning this sense of noticing these things about yourself you know like what am I besides this, what Kristen Leal loves to call the meat sack, right? <laughs> Just like this bag of bones and uh, liquid, right? And mm -hmm. I don't know, it's fascinating that we have this capacity, but we do. Yeah. Mm, I loved listening to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that I'm thinking about right now is uh, kind of the way you just set up that outline 
was also that we we associate so strongly with this this physical layer, our physical bodies, and but something that also really resonated with me is the e- the ease of of moving between or moving moving our awareness between these layers of our experience and i the uh one of the ways in which i explain like our yo- our meditation practice is um is sort of like starting in the mind, descending into the body, and then shooting <laughs> into meditation. Like uh, I, I say to people who've never meditated, it's kind of like like slingshotting yourself into meditation using the body and using you, but using your awareness inside of the body too. Um, and so there's something there that I was thinking about that, like, and maybe this is again me framing things from, uh, from an anxious place because I I do I, I I I do find myself caught in thought all the time that I one of the main things also that's happening in understanding our place in these larger like you said yoga allows us over time to start to perceive ourselves not just as our individual selves but to contextualize ourselves inside of the the unfolding of the universe and and larger systems like society and nature and this planet as it circles the sun but not just in a in a a way that we're philosophizing about it but in in helping us to feel into a certain kind of experience in our living that illuminates those realities to us in sort of a lived way. Um, And I would even say illuminates through us for others. Like we become like a divine light, not like we're a special, but that we become a a vehicle for that, like a vessel for that. For others to feel. Like our part of the the unfolding is we bring more light into the world. Wait, can you say more about that? (laughs) Do you mean through our teaching or do you mean in other ways? Through, through any time you're interacting through your teaching, definitely that's like in an, in an explicit way. And then in living, like when you encounter someone and you're kind the way your nature is right. When you're kind to someone else, it influences that person, which influences more people, right? And it's, you know, that pay it forward kind of notion, right? Mm-hmm. This reminds me, there's something that what you just said just reminded me about something you said a couple of minutes ago that I found really illuminating. Sometimes I think when we say in meditation or when Al says in meditation, meditate daily and and it kind of helps with your evolution. And there's a, like you said, we could just live and not practice yoga and evolution would continue on. But what are we sort of getting when we do practice yoga and when we kind of lubricate the system of evolution? And something that you said really illuminated that for me that like as we practice, and we maybe we get this ability for Antar Karana. And if we're saying that sometimes our behaviors are locked into place by certain beliefs, 
then as we get to know ourselves in these subtle ways, there is the possibility that if you're meditating regularly and you have, I don't know, you have a thing about pasta, you can't stop eating pasta, that you, in the moment, if you're, you might start to feel back into the mechanics and the subtle mechanics of that. And maybe, maybe you'll get over your pasta thing a little bit sooner in life than a little bit later. And that, there's something about how you explained all of that, that I was like, oh, oh, this makes more sense to me now. I kind of knew this in the back of my head, but this feels more concrete. Hmm. I like pasta. I like pasta too. Nothing on pasta. That was that. That was for the sake of the conversation. There's, uh, <laughs> but no pasta was harmed in the making of this. Right. right. <laughs> but like maybe maybe in a, a better or a, uh, an example that is less light or humorous is like mm. what's been what was just going on with the elections in the U.S. You know, like to to feel so. Um, I mean, on the earth level, a lot of people are feeling very troubled, right? Like the the economy, the inflation, your ability to pay your bills and get fuel in your home or car, those kinds of things, you know, if to feel uh, that you have an option if something's happened to you sexually, you know, all these kinds of things. And it can be so uh, terrifying that you're, you can be drawn to violence, like the guy who hit Paul Pelosi on the head, you know? Or you can just go get so depressed that you can't function, right? And becoming more clear about what is a person and what is a society and what is the universe and I'm a small speck in this very giant thing, all of these, this ability to see yourself more clearly can help you understand, well, how am I supposed to live in the world, right? Like part of yoga practice is how do I step out of the world to gain this bigger perspective on what I am, who I am, what is consciousness that pervades the universe, so forth. But then the, the result of it you know, which the Yoga Sutras talk about in the fourth pada. It's like, okay, so you come back into living and then, you know, through the cities that were in the third pada and the, the clarity and the, the freedom that you feel and that's described in the fourth pada, like, okay, so what does a person like that look like when they are living, you know? And, um, you know, the, that's one of the, the most common questions in the Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna keeps saying, so what does a person look like when they've done what you're saying, Krishna? You know, and it's it's that you're, you're fighting the fight. You know, you're in the battle. You're doing what you need to do. You're doing whatever work is there. But you maintain this ability to not get sucked into the emotional anguish of it all. Right, like you can be a, a raging warrior, but at the end of the day, if your team loses, that's just what happened, and you t accept that. You know, mm. that's that. To me, that's been one of the really sad components of 
what's been going on in our politics, this notion that, oh yeah, let's just dissolve truth, you know, and we'll just say whatever we want. That is just like such a confusing uh, action to take. Mm -hmm. And like the work right now, I think, is to reestablish truth. Like that's one of the jobs that people have. Maybe not everybody has the that that's their main job, but we all have to be like on the lookout for what what it what could be our step. What is in front of me that would let me help with that? You know, mm-hmm. and I I don't get very political in in social media, but every now and then I I like drop a little reminder that there is a truth, right? And, you know, like check facts and see what people are actually saying. And, you know, if you're just complaining, that's not the same as solving a problem and so forth, Mm -hmm. right? Like just these Mm -hmm. little things that I can do from my place. I have a friend who's very, very active politically and in addition to her regular job, you know, is constantly making phone calls and, all of this really helpful stuff. So, you know, I think that we are all in the fight and we are all, if we wanna, if we're evolving, we also have to be able to get better and better at seeing what is that role that we're playing in the world. Mm. Even people who are in very big roles sometimes can't do big stuff, right? And in small roles, sometimes you can, like the the woman in Iran who was killed, right? I'm sure never had an intention that she was gonna transform <laughs> the government <Yeah>. there. <laughs> <laughs> and yet that simple, you know, that action of sacrifice, wow. So we don't know what our our thing is going to be, but can we be there for it? And and can we not fall apart when we don't get what we hoped we were going to get, or whatever? And, and that's where it comes back into living. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I've been thinking about this in the context of my own life recently. How the practice, especially in in the past year or so like i definitely felt my practice and my like dedication to my practice during the pandemic wane because i was really struggling with like mental health and and obviously and and a pandemic and i really feel having having reestablished it this like this past year i can it's like it's like watching the watching the water start to run through the river again after the rain or something. And the way that I see it manifest is in my relationship to my, my work. So I work full time as a software engineer on, and teach at Ishta twice a week. And I spend a lot of days at Ishta um, working remote from the yoga studio because it just brings me a lot of joy and I get to talk to our community. And one of my students, 
uh, very is very loving and 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 has a really fun sense of humor. And so gave me a hard time the other day about like, do you get any work done? <laughs> do you get any work done? All I see you doing is taking yoga classes and talking to people. And um, and I understand. I mean, I understand that where that comment comes from, and it, it made me it made me think about it a bit because I do think that three years ago I wouldn't set myself up at the yoga studio because I know I'd be perhaps I'd be worried about being very, very distracted or, um, and I'd be worried about what my team would think at my full-time job. And luckily they're very understanding and they're very cool at that job. But also I think what I feel from, and what I think is a result of the practice is seeing more clearly the reality of my role in that job and what exactly I'm expected to accomplish and, um, and, and whether or not I'm accomplishing those things. And if I am getting my work done, um, then things are good. And, and what I don't get caught up in as much is the anxiety or the anguish of, I should be working eight hours straight. And if I'm not head in the screen um, for those hours, I am somehow failing people or disappointing people. And so that often looks like me having tired eyes or starting to get a tired brain from staring at code. And that's a great time to talk to people. <laughs> right. um, and so I feel this freedom from the expectations that I used to have of myself as a quote as a full-time employee as a nine to fiver. And and I don't think that I'm any less effective at the job. Um because there's a truth to like there's only so much re reasoning and logic you can do it in a day in, in crafting code. So absolutely. And you know, even though that's like a a proven fact, the the culture of work you know, the corporate culture in America, especially, doesn't say, you know, it says, no, 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 no. You have to, you have to work, you have to be there, you have to do more, you have to do more, you have to do more, you have to do more. You should be working at home, you should take calls, you should, you know, on vacation, bring your phone, bring your laptop. Even though, <laughs> you know, there's evidence that it, that's not helpful. Right. And so I do think that the practice like lubricates mm -hmm. the spaces between myself and my enjoyment and those, that culture and those expectations and in a, in a way that I, I like that feels more explicit than uh, before. Yeah. And I would, I would say that not only does it feel more explicit, but it's like, you know, there's this notion of the city, right? The the power that comes from practice, and the when when you have a regular practice, what you choose to do, and how you choose to do it, and what you choose to say, and the energy that radiates from you, like I say, bringing this light into the world, that has an impact in your environment, so that the people that you are working with, the people on your team, the people who are your clients, all of that stuff is shifted 
because of your practice, right? And so they agree with you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the things you do, they're like, wow, that was great. You're even if you were anxious about it, you know, and said, oh my God, I wonder if this is good enough. They're like, wow, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Right. It's like the the physical actions that come from your state of being are aligned. They're in the flow. They're the right thing at the right time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm experiencing that. Yeah. And learning to trust it a little bit more. Someone at my office on Tuesday said, there's no one like you. <laughs> and I took me like three beats to really like sit with that. And I was like, I was like, that's yoga. <laughs> I was like, that's the yoga. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, yeah. And it stems from this uh, doing a practice and it's aided by Antar Karana being able to look inside to see what you're doing. So it's not just like, oh, randomly, oh, wow, my life is doing a little better, but you become more masterful at applying it and, you know, trusting because you see, you're able to see what's going on inside of you. And so you start to trust more the influences of that. And so I think that the beauty of it is it's organic in many ways. Like if you let it happen, it happens because that is our nature. You know, our nature is not that we are just physical beings. Our nature is that we are not just a brain, you know, as this uh, fascinating book I was reading, like it's called The um, Scientific Proof of Spiritual Phenomenon. And in it, the, the author writes, you know, like to, to be stuck with a notion of just everything is in the materialistic realm, just does not describe enough of our own reality to, to be a reasonable framework, you know? And so to notice that and to be able to operate within the realm of that you know, to start to say, yes, my thoughts matter and I can influence things or, you know, I'm energetic in nature and I can learn to work with that energy, whether it's in myself or even for others. And that's powerful stuff, you know. And, you know, your description of your work life is just such a lovely one of an example of that. Yeah. But I know you had a long work life today, so I think this is maybe a good place to to pause our conversation for now and uh, pick it up on another episode. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, what a joy, though, as always. Oh. Well, st thank you, Stephen. I love, love the conversation. Thanks, Peter. We'll talk soon. Namaste. Namaste. Thanks for listening to Peter's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm also now having some episodes on YouTube, which you can check out. And if you can, support Peter's podcast on Patreon. It makes this possible. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Namaste. Namaste.